hey, look at that. We didn't have like 80 announcements anymore. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to bring up Scott. Uh, dear God, thank you for this day. I just thank you for uh, just the craziness of summer, all the all the crazy good stuff that happened, all the crazy good stuff that you did, God. People that come to Christ for the first time, pe- people re-giving their lives to you, God. Um, it was just, it was, it was so cool. And, and I just want to thank you for, for be, having the opportunity to be a part of it, God. It was just really cool to see all that happening. And, and just I look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future, God, and in the rest of the year, God. Pray for all these things. I, I give this time to you. I pray, I pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, where did July go? It just seems like it just came and then it was gone so uh welcome to august and welcome to the uh, continuance of our series in the book of romans we're chapter seven today um so if you want to follow along uh with your bible we're going to put everything up on the screen um and i just kind of assume those of you at home that you're you're getting your bibles out too as we do this and whatnot um but we've been doing a, a series on Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, it's actually uh, one of probably his biggest book uh, as far as volume, uh, longest book. Um, but let's, let's jump in and we're going to look at uh, the, the holy war within. Apparently there's a war going on. We're going to find out about it and how do we win it. So let's pray and then we'll get moving. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for all the things that... We get to experience with you. We pray for our students that are about to start a new school year and transition maybe even into a new school, these sixth and ninth graders. Um, and I just pray you continue to show us how, to, how do we minister? How do we help? Pray for our time now, Lord, as we look at your word, that you would guide it and bless it. Uh, help us to understand what's going on within us. Um, and what you have to say about it, Lord. So I pray that you would bless the reading of your word and honor your son. We pray this in his name, Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, <laughs> so the last couple chapters, we've been talking about uh, this idea. Paul's been explaining this idea that God's grace is bigger uh, than any mistake we can make. That uh, no matter what you do sin-wise, uh, what Christ did on the cross is bigger it's his ultimate statement about sin. Uh, we know that all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, and it, all those kind of things. But God's greatest statement about sin is that he overcomes it, that he's bigger than it. Um, and so Paul then in chapter 6 says, well, good news. If you can do anything, well, then let's go do anything. We can get forgiven of all of it because God's bigger than all of it. And he says, no. Should we do that? No, by all means, no. We should actually be looking at what does God have ahead of us. If we could avoid sin, conquer sin, um, and invest in our relationship with the Lord, put all that stuff behind us, and then what can we do moving forward? Uh, What would He have to show us? That kind of thing. And so uh, there's been this discussion going on, and He's he's kind of continuing it in uh, chapter seven and he's going to help us find the origin of the problem where where is all of this coming sin originally and then our desire to well i could i could kind of cheat and do whatever sin i want and then just get forgiven later even our desire to do that is coming from somewhere and and originates um within us oh did i just give it away within us well it's in the title pretty much so this chapter seven verse one or do you not know brothers for I'm speaking to those who know the law. He's, he's, um, he's just qualified his letter. Is he writing this letter to everyone? It's not really written to us even in many ways. He's saying, I'm, I'm writing this to Jewish culture. Those who understand the law. He says that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Once you pass... All these laws don't apply to you anymore. This is just kind of common sense. And he's going to go into this analogy about a married woman. You could use almost any analogy here. Um, but let's not get weird in the gender part of this. Let's understand that there's just some logistics things that make sense and don't make sense. And here's how he describes it. 
For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Right? You're not married if he's not here anymore. Right? That's just pretty common sense. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Now, if he's not dead yet, then rules are still intact. Right? But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. If she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Right? Kind of makes sense. <clears throat> Likewise, why did he tell this story? Why did he give us this analogy? Because he's trying to teach us something about us and sin and the law. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear, bear the fruit of God. Says, you know, this law thing... Um, Keeping track of what you do right, what you do wrong. Constantly going to the temple, offering sacrifice, but make sure you get the right sacrifice because it depends on what you did wrong, and so you have to track that. And oh my goodness, aren't we glad that's over? And Paul's saying, look, um, you almost you, you felt like you were owned by the law before when we were under that system. But now that Christ has come and died, we don't, we don't belong to that anymore. I love the phrase, the, the terminology, how he says it. Um, so that you may belong to another. What's he implying? We have the opportunity to belong to Christ. That's different than the way we usually hear it. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Okay, I've given my heart to Christ. I've been born again. I follow Christ. There's lots of ways that we say it. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But to say it this way, I belong to Christ, is very different. But there's some warmth to it. You know, it's a lot better when they were saying last uh, chapter. Do you remember what we were last chapter? We were slaves. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. No one likes that. They say, I belong to, you know, if I talk about my dad, I belong to my dad. Right? Now, is that a legal phrase? Not really. I'm over 18 now and all that kind of stuff. But I will always belong to my dad. I will always belong to my mom. Now, let's switch it up. Because uh, they're older than me and their parents. So it kind of feels like, right? what if I say I belong to my kids? They came after me. They're much less efficient lacking a little information comparatively right what does it mean like i belong to my kids there's a relationship there there's a warmth um are we bound it's not a binding statement it's a statement of intent it's a statement of heart it's a great way for paul to introduce us to looking at a relationship with christ in more depth rather than just uh well he was an old jewish guy like two thousand years ago and uh he died and he did some stuff and it's a great story i told some good uh like analogies and but i don't know a little mystical some of that stuff walking on water things like that i don't know if i buy all that stuff i can just keep him as a character in a book from the past uh or I can explore the possibilities of what would it be like to be in a real relationship with him where I'm not necessarily bound, but I belong to him. And if I were going to be in a relationship where I belong, do I want a bunch of rules, a bunch of law in it? It's really a, a pretty good setup. Uh, verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, who's Sinful passions, by the way. I almost missed that. I, was, I wanted to emphasize that this morning. I'll, that's okay. I'll get second service with it. right? Ours. And not just passions. Um, do you have good passions? Say yes. Okay. But the, every once in a while, you have passions that get you in trouble. Right? Mine tend to be around cheesecake. Right? That's where I get in trouble. It's like, uh, aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit. Can we just stop at bear fruit? No? It says bear fruit for what? For 
death. It's like we're in, we're in a system that's headed the wrong direction. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. How is this belonging to Christ supposed to work? In the Spirit. There's a new way in the Spirit that is meant to help us go between right and wrong. Right Right and wrong exist. Good and bad. Evil and holy. I mean, you know they're coming for that next, right? They've come for everything else. They've, They've... said most everything doesn't exist right who's they them right and uh we this this doesn't really exist anymore it's a social construct this doesn't really exist anymore because you know someone else made that up Uh, this doesn't uh, exist because it doesn't work for me right pretty soon we're going to get to a place where right and wrong totally ambiguous or they want to see it that way and that's super dangerous I've referenced this, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, the whole concept in the book of Judges where Israel had no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's a path to destruction. Uh, Because they could think, uh, what's right in their eyes is I just get to stab whoever I want. Or I just get to go take things out of any any building structure. I just get to go take whatever I want. That's right for me. I know you don't like it. Right? Uh, And we're just going to function that way. That gets us in trouble. We need a spirit to help us discern what is right, what is wrong. Now, let's do a little experiment. Because we're, we're scientists, we know this, right? Because it wasn't really a question. The first wasn't a question. We are scientists, right? We follow the inventor of science. And it all fits together. We're just yet to know fully how all of it fits together. Okay, Um, so what was my experiment? Yes, here we go. Have you had times you came across something and you maybe saw it for the first time or you heard a story and your first interaction, your first exposure to this person, this thing, this experience, you got a feeling about it. Has that ever happened to you? You come up and like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. Or, ooh, eh, some, I, I'm not sure yet, but something feels squishy about that. So there's, something's a little, there's something going on there. You ever said that? I'm not really sure what's going on, but I know something's wrong. How, where does that come from? This is the experiment. How did you, how did you get this inkling that it could be left or right? There's, there's spirit, and then there's experience, right? You've had experiences with lots of things, and over time you figure out which ones work and which ones do not, which ones hurt and which ones comfort, which ones are beneficial and which ones are detrimental. And over time, those experiences teach you. Uh, by the way, during those experiences, who's guiding you through those? The spirit, Right? Then there's, I'm seeing this for the first time, not really sure what to do, but there's a reference to other experiences that were similar, but there's also a reference to that spirit that guided you before can guide you right now, and you can say, mm, nope, not today. Or yes, absolutely, we're going to jump in with both feet, depending on how good it is. Um, we need that spirit, because uh, written codes don't work. Have you figured this out? As soon as you make a rule or find a rule, the very next thing that you're going to find is an exception to the rule, right? There's always an exception to the rule. Now, is that a rule? Well, careful because we're about to spin and never be able to come back. Right? Is the exception to, there's always an exception to a rule is a rule. Then there should be exception to that rule as well. But then that's another rule. Here we go on the spiral. Right? So we're going to avoid that. Um, but just know that written codes don't work. Um, and, the, and the moment that you try to paint black and white, there's 
variations. And we need to be open to those. Uh, so what do we do about this? What shall we say? The law is sin, or the law is worthless, or the law is bad now because we're in this new belonging to Christ thing? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. God shows us what's right by telling us. Like what, do you, when, when did law start? Do, can, we, can we figure that one out fairly quickly? I think it's uh, like two chapters in. You can do anything you want except one thing. Bam, we got a law, right? And if there's a law, there's always an exception to the law, and they found the exception. Oh, no, I can eat, touch it, eat it, and share it. And they do it, right? The ability to know what law is and know what right and wrong is um, is a statement of God. It's his discernment. It's his decision. If he says something's good, is it good by nature or is it good because he said it was good? Kind of weird. We're we're unused to the idea that you know you you find a, a thing a, a fruit and you you find out whether it's good, right? You taste it and you don't die. It there's no poison in it. And you watch your pigs eat it, and they live, and so, okay, maybe I'll have it. There's other things that are intrinsically bad. You just, you don't eat them, because they're not good for you, and they make you sick. We think there's intrinsic value in certain things. What about this? Intrinsic doesn't exist. (gasps) What do you mean? Well, God decided to make this edible and beneficial and nutritious and he might just make this poisonous and detrimental what if he changes his mind could he change his mind then those things would not have intrinsic value or they only have temporary intrinsic value when god makes a rule it's a rule because he said it's a rule not because the system's designed on that and it can never change because god can change the system what's great is we have a god who wants us to understand the system he's put in place. And actually, I kind of lied. There, there is some intrinsics. They just are all attributed to God himself. Beyond that, he can change anything. Make it go any direction he wants. Um, so that's how we know good and bad is through him. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Right? To want someone else's stuff is just to want someone else's stuff. Until we call it coveting. Then, all of a sudden, it turns bad. Right? This is Paul's point. God shows us what's right and wrong based on his system. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. It doesn't really exist outside the law. Right? If you were never told not to do something, then how do you know that it was wrong? In fact, nobody said it was wrong. I was once alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity <clears throat> through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Boy, it's starting to like really get complicated, right? Was the law good or bad? It's in the law is good because it helps us see the values that God puts on things. Well, but it also brought death because when you disobey God, well, you know, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, right? That's chapter two as well. He says, no, it's good because it gives us direction. By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Here's the simple way to see this because I know this is getting very wordy and Paul's known for getting super complicated. Here's how you know what God says. 
You listen to what God says. That's it. I know that sounds very oversimplified, but what's sin? Sin is just going opposite of what God says. That's the best, I think, way to look at it. When you, when you cross God, that's sin. So how do you know how to avoid crossing God? You just listen to what He says, and now you know right and wrong. Right? So <clears throat> sin is present and possible anytime God says something. We can't say, well, it brought death and it's going to kill me and it's bad. Well, it also helps us know the good side. The good side is the uh, following Him, listening to Him, obeying Him. All right? For you know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I've been there. Where I don't understand what I did. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? You know, if I just kept my mouth shut or... You know, if I just had gone, I, I stayed home, I should have gone. You know, there's all those kind of things. where You, you do things, it's like, what? Scott, you're such a knucklehead. Why do you do that? Right? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. When I do what I do not want, when he says this here, what he's referring to is when you obey, when you do the hard work of obedience, we go against being lazy, go against like holding on to your money or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, swallow your pride, be humble, ask for forgiveness. Well, those things are all difficult. And when you do what you don't want to do because it's difficult and it's the right thing to do, you agree with the law that it's good. I know it was difficult. I know I, I feel lazy or I, I wanted to avoid it or it was getting me frustrated or whatever, but I did it anyway. Why? Why would you do something that was costly, took energy? Because God said? Because it was good? Right? That's Paul's argument. So now, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Now, if I do the wrong thing, it's my disobedience. Right? Because Paul's making this argument that you got two two things going on in you. You got a spiritual going on in you, and you got a physical going on in you. <clears throat> Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So, where's the war? The war is within you, right? So I find it to be, verse 21, a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Does this sound accurate? I, mean, I know we've, it's very technical and there's lots of arguments and lots of detail and run-on sentences. But does it sound right? Does it sound like uh, doing the right thing is difficult sometimes, doing the wrong thing can be easy, and there's that constant conflict? Do I do that? Uh, I mean, we're really mad. I know what I'll do. I'll get him. Or I'm going to be a bigger man. I'm going to swallow my pride, you know, whatever. I'm going to take time and invest in helping this person all day on a Saturday in 98 degrees, carrying stuff upstairs. Yeah, that's what we did for my son the other day. He had to move. Um, we've got this conflict going on within us, Right? And Paul, this, this, is, this is what one of the things that makes me feel really good, right? Paul, one of the smartest of all time, wrote almost half, people like to say, I wrote half the New Testament. And there's like 27 books in the New Testament. He wrote 13. 13 times 2 is 26. There's 27, so it was not quite half, all right? I'm, just not, I'm not giving it to him. 
I'm just not giving him half. He's not half. Right? You've got to earn it. You should have wrote one more book. Right? Um, but one of the smartest of all time, and he struggles with this. Right? Why does that make me feel good? Because if Abraham and Moses and David and Noah and Jonah and Paul and Peter and all, if all these guys and the ladies too, Deborah and such, um, and shoot, Eve, let's start with her, right? If all of them can struggle with it, I'm normal. And God says there's a chance, right? How's Paul say it? Verse 24, we wrap up with these last two. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's he want out of? Does, does he want out of life? He wants out of the conflict. You know, one of the greatest things about heaven for us, this conflict's over. Which one? All of them. All conflicts are over. It's, we're good. Right? Verse 25. Thanks be to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Right? What He did on the cross. That makes Him what? Our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. For now, this war will continue. Now, let's feel better about it. I know because if you get out your outline now, we're going to go into the, the, the fill-in section, which, by the way, may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen. Um, get out your outline at the top. It says, uh, that, 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 that just changed my life. Thank you. Appreciate it. If I get a hair out of place, let me know, okay? Actually, if I get a hair, let me know. That, that'll be exciting too, right? Thank you. Um, what's the title say at the top there of the outline, right? Romans 7, because passage is always the prime billing, right? Then a little, uh, little title for today, right? Which, by the way, I never come up with them. I always steal them, right? Pretty much. Um, waging the holy war within. Now that's, that sounds a little cheeky, a little dramatic. It's because um, waging war is a phrase from the passage. We just read it, right? And we've, just, we've determined that it's all within. Uh, Paul ends the chapter saying, well, for now, this is the way it is. I got my spiritual side and I got my sinful side, and that's going to continue. But in the dramatic way that this sounds, I'd like to introduce you to my mom, okay? My mom, you would call her Liz. I would call her mom. She would say it this way. You have a choice. Nice and simple. Yeah, you got a spiritual side. Yeah, you got a sinful side. And yes, we got Christ on the cross. And did he die for us? Absolutely. Is it finished? Totally. Has he solved sin? Uh-huh. Has death been conquered? Absolutely. Has he established his place at the right hand of the Father? Yep. Has he shown us his intrinsic value? Absolutely. And his power and ability? Uh-huh. Great. After all that, what do you want to do about it? <laughs> right? I would come home from school, you know, and Johnny stole my crayons or something, or somebody broke my pencil, or I lost my matchbox car whatever it is and i'm just distraught because the world is ending right and my mom would sit me down and she'd listen and and, and let's just say that a lot of crying and whining or complaining blaming finger pointing all this stuff happens you know like i do every day uh and when it's finally over she would say something like okay so what do you want to do about it <laughs> good story great job on the emotions by the way how do you want to move forward? What do you want to do now? Is it snack time or what? Do you need to go find some other crayons? Or? You have a choice in how you proceed. Praise God. One of the greatest graces that He gives us 
is freedom from sin and your salvation. And that one of the small graces that he gives for you is what? Choice. Freedom of choice. Which I, I always wonder. You know, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Ooh, interesting. In freedom, there's choice. Whoa. How do we have this uh, predestination or um, definitive is like that God defines all things, controls all things. You know, you say that a lot, Scott. But then you have choice too. You have these two things that are kind of like diametrically opposed. No, they work together. We're just yet to understand how. It's kind of like faith and science. Oh, they're diametrically opposed. Nope, they fit together. We're just yet to know how. But we keep getting little clues here and there. And the more we chase him, the more he reveals to us. What? Truth. And it sets us free from all of our own constructs. Or things that we think are intrinsic, but they really are not. All right, let's have a little fun. Uh, if you were going to win the war, right? In order to win the war, um, what, what can we get from this passage? Um, because Paul uh, implies that the war is not won. Right at the end, he says, well, I got the spirit and I got the sin. Eh. But he gives us some pathways. He gives us some clarity. Here's where we do want to buy into the guy that wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament because he's absolutely wise and God decided to use him through his spirit to give us the truth and the things we need to know. Right? If you're going to win this war, what do you need to know? Right? First one is this. Know where the fight is. Know where the fight is. This is a test. Okay, it's one question test. Who was not ever met? We're talking about sin and death and all this. Who was never ever mentioned in this whole chapter? Starts with S and he has a tan. You notice that the devil's not in here anywhere? You know, we like to say, oh, the devil made me do it, right? A little famous phrase. Um, we're talking about sin and death and the struggle within us and being tempted and all this stuff. Is the fight with Satan? It's not even mentioned in this. I love pointing out when people say, oh, you know, the story of Job and Satan and God and the whole thing. I'm like, bro, Satan's barely even in that story. These first two chapters, after that, the next 40 whatever, no mention of him not even on the scene. In fact, he is kind of portrayed as a wimpy little insignificant. If you really read it. Where's the battle? I've already told you, and it's in the title. Where's the battle? So who's the problem? Ooh, don't say it that way, Scott. I don't want to be the problem. I want to be the solution. Well, then know where the fight is. You got to solve a problem. You show up where the problem is. Right? I got a, a bunch of coaches that work in, in the soccer club with me. We had some problems at the field with some goals. Half of them showed up at the fields and we started fixing them. The other half, where were they? I don't know. But they weren't where the problem was. One of the greatest things that, that the devil could do to you is to make you think that the problem was with him. Why? Why is that a great tactic on his part? Yeah, from the front to the back, it releases us of responsibility. It's a distraction. Well, you know, it's really, it's your parents. It, they, you, were, you were raised wrong. You were taken advantage of. Blame someone else. What's the advantage of knowing that you are your own biggest problem? What's, that, what's the advantage there? You now know and have control of how to solve it. Of what needs to be worked on. I know I made this thing about, oh, you have a choice. How do you want to move forward? Yes. Now you know where to move forward. Um, is the fight with God. It's really not. 
He's done all things necessary to put you in a position to win. He's given you access to salvation. He's done all of the work, right? In fact, I think earlier, a couple chapters ago, for grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is your choice to make a decision based on grace. Grace is He did everything for us. Our fight's not with Him. Are we good at fighting though? We're good at fighting everyone and fighting God and blaming and pointing the finger. I mean, that's chapter 3 of the book. As soon as we get law and we get disobedience, the very next thing we get is, it was them, it was you. Right? But this helps us the most because this is where I then learn I need to work on you. No, me, right? I get to work on myself. We used to um, work at a restaurant, waiting tables. And uh, two tables, side by side, this table doesn't like that table, right? They're smoking, or they're loud, or they got food on me, or... I know them from a previous relationship. I just, I don't, can you move them? Uh, that table needs to move, right? Pointing the finger. We never, ever moved them. Never. You know what we would do? You can move. I got a whole bunch of tables for you to choose from. Where would you like to go? Because you are the problem. They're fine. All right? Our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with ourselves, that's it. You need to figure out when you need to move. And that's, it's huge. Um, and Paul makes it really clear. I've given you at least three verses where you can find it and read about it later. Um, but he says, look, it's within me. And, and like, who's going to deliver me from this, from this death? Right? Um, second thing we need to know here is if we know where the fight is. We also need to know our limits. And this, this one is um, a little more vague, but I see it in culture everywhere, uh, which is, is really... Um, so this week I was listening to a radio show and a guy was telling a story about culture. And, and I, I, I had this weird moment, like... Maybe as the lead pastor of a spiritual body of people trying to follow Christ, maybe I'm supposed to speak about culture. Now, I have this dilemma within me. I will not do politics. This is a church. We're here to worship. But one of the ways we worship is we have to recognize what's going on in culture and how is it different when we worship from what culture is doing. I'm going to attempt that dance moving forward. Give me grace. I think I'm new at it. And I will step in it once in a while, if you know what I mean. But one of the things in culture that I think we need to be very careful about is people love to think they have no limits. I get to decide truth. I get to decide what I like. I get to decide what I'm comfortable with. I get to decide what triggers me. I am the master of my own domain. What's wrong with that? There, I mean, the simplest way, there's more than one Scott. That's a real problem. I can make up a whole bunch of stuff, and you know what? Some of it's going to violate Scott. And Scott's going to come up with some ideas, and guess what? They'll be, some of them, diametrically opposed to, to, to me, right? We have limits. You can never see everything. You will miss other people's experiences. And when it comes to like the sin and holy war going on inside of you, can you solve that?
I mean, you can be actively involved. You can put on the uniform and you can get on the field and you can play the game, but you'll never be able to win it yourself. I think that's why culture dislikes Christianity in some ways because it puts ultimate power and ultimate truth outside ourself. For many, that's scary. Because Scott and I, we want, we want to be in total control and we want to make all the rules. Our sinful self, right? <laughs> We're right. You'll, as soon as you figure it out, you'll be okay. Right? What's the problem with that? It leaves everybody else out. And our systems will never work. And until you are willing to take help from the outside, you will think you're unlimited. And that, that's a scary place. Because you'll, you'll fail to ask. You, you will never reach out to God. You will never reach outside yourself. And you'll, you'll be oppositional in subtle ways or drastic ways. The moment you have limits, what's the joy of that? Because that's, that's scary for a lot of people. Me, I started enjoying it a long time ago. Rather than be scared of it, having limits has become this wonderful thing for me. Why is that? I, I, I can never know what to expect. Everybody's going to bring something different to the table, right? And so I can stop worrying about what to expect because it's unknowable. So let's just wait and see what happens. When I have limits and I buy it, Christ gets to be on the throne. He gets to have value to his cross. I'm no longer trying to solve sin. I'm trying to avoid it and make good decisions, right? Mom, Liz said, you have a choice. Yes. But I'm no longer responsible for making sure it goes right or this way. I, I don't have to care who the president is. I don't have to care which school my kid chooses. I mean, it's the rudest thing. All three kids chose schools without me. They chose their own school. I just think that's wrong. Intrinsically. When I have limits, it frees up my kids. It frees up you to be you. It frees up everybody I come in contact to be part of something bigger and it frees them because I know they have limits. And I can set proper expectations of what they can or cannot do. It's, it's absolutely brilliant for God to make us limited. Needy. Right? I mean, it says at the very beginning of the book, you know this, right? It is not good for man to be alone. That's code where you're limited, you have needs, and you're semi-broken by design. Congratulations. Go enjoy all the other broken designs that are limited. Everybody starts to have a different value now. We all have places and we fit. It's, it's, really, um, it's really pretty wonderful. Verse 18 says it this, For I know there's nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I desire to do what is right, but do not have the ability to carry it out. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to learn how to be forgiven, and you're going to learn how to forgive subsequently. Right? Last is this, if you, if you know where the war is, where's, where is the fight, and you know your limits, then, then last, you've got, you got to know the solution. I had this problem the other day, and I was really, really struggling to figure it out. See, I was hungry. It was the weirdest thing. 
I started getting hangry. You've, uh, some of you maybe have not heard of this. It's, it's becoming a very culturally popular phrase. You're hungry, and because you're hungry, you get angry. And they, well, we're lazy as humans, right? So you just put the two together, hungry and angry. Hangry. I was, I was very famished. Pick some more words, right? As to how I was, I was starting to sweat, getting irritable, blah, 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 snapping at people. You know what I did? I ate some food. It was glorious. It was the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, my wife is behaving herself. My kids are polite. People are driving properly again. All is right in the world. The radio show sounds good. Everything all of a sudden started working. It was the weirdest thing because before, everything was wrong. We have to find the proper solution when we know what the problem is. Right? So, what's the solution? Because Paul says, I'm going to continue to have a spiritual side and a sinful side. I'm going to be in this battle, this tug of war. Right? Or, uh, I love the cartoon, old version, where you have the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other. Right? Whispering in your ear, trying to pull you. Uh, how, do we, how do we manage that? Well, the, the solution to the sin has kind of been done on the cross. We have to remember that. If we remember we're limited and we know where the fight is, that's, that's part of the solution. But where do we turn for the solve? We know it's been solved. But Paul alludes to this a couple different ways. And he says, look, you have choice, but you're now, you now belong to Christ with the Spirit. We're meant to walk with the Spirit as we choose. Not as you choose to walk with the Spirit. As you choose, you have the Spirit walk with you, helping you figure out, hey, uh, that's a good idea, Scott. Yeah, go for that. Hey, Scott, uh, don't do that. That's going to crash and burn. That's going to have tragic results. Don't say it. Bite your tongue. Right? How do, uh, we, we walk with God. Best we can. We, we pray about the things that bring us emotion. Which emotions, Scott? All of them. From fear to joy, hope to pain, all of them. That's, that's your emotions. Of course, you've got to pray about those, Scott, because in your heart, it's just like all over the place. But, but my mind... I need to pray about my mind too, like my thoughts. Yeah. Why? Because your thoughts are pretty much connected to and driven by your heart. <laughs> how often, how well, how much can we engage God in our day to day? Because winning the War within is a daily exercise. Sometimes moment by moment. How do we continue in that? Um, by the grace of God. One of the other great things that happened on the cross, He solved all this and He says, now I'm going to send you a helper. It's not good for man to be alone. We read that. Oh, what do we always think about? Genesis. Adam, by himself. Not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper. Right? Long comes, we always think about, say it again, Eve. Um, do you know that the, the root word for Eve and the root word for spirit are the same? You know, uh, it's not good for man to be alone might be just as much a statement about our need of a God. In fact, there's probably two relationships that we really need. We need the spiritual one with God and we need the intimacy of a partner. Which one? Both, right? And it's kind of weird because um, like thousands of years later, they pull this really smart guy aside. His name was Jesus. And they said, hey, what's the most important thing? And what do you say? 
love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Both. We pursue this one all the time. In many of the decisions that we make, we overemphasize this one. Paul's trying to draw us back into, uh, let's try engaging this one as much as possible. Because we neglect it easily. I do. I know you're better at it than I am. But either way, God says this work and win. Yeah? And it will be over one day. And it'll be through our relationship with Him when we get to heaven and understanding what Christ did on the cross for us. And then we'll really get food for our hunger. Right? Because now, who are you going to be ultimately close with? You'll be in His presence. And you'll be around everybody else. Remember earlier I promised no conflict? That's a, that's a good party. I'm going. You coming? Let's wait a little while before we go. Right? <clears throat> uh, Jesus invited us into that. He took uh, the guys and he sat them down and said, Hey, look, um, we're about to do some stuff. I'm going to pass out some drinks. I'm going to wash your feet. I want you to talk and listen because the next three days it's going to get a little hairy. I need you to remember. Do this often so that you remember. Remember this. This relationship with Him. Have the Spirit with you. Right? I'm sending you a helper. That's what we're going to do uh, with communion. Uh, Brent said there's, there's gluten-free over here. There's regular over there. All right? Um, let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for helping us with this ongoing battle, that there's options for us, that there's things for us to pay attention to, and that you give us guidance through your Spirit. Pray you show each of us ways to do that. Help us to improve. And then, Lord, if there's is anybody who's never made that decision to at least start that relationship, I, I pray, Lord, that you'd be drawing them. Uh, and if it's you, just tell them. Tell them in your own words. I want to. I want to belong to you. From this day forward, I belong to you. And then, Lord, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray that no one feels obligated to give. And we trust that you'll use it to help us in our pursuit of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May you always belong to him. Amen. Go with him. <laughs>